Well, amen. Let's give it up for our moms. Yes. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my honor to be able to say Happy Mother's Day. Moms, y'all have the worst, sorry, hardest job in the world. Um, it's you who have to put up with us our whole life. It's you who uniquely spend countless hours praying for us, pouring into us, and really preparing us for the rest of the life that we're going to live. And moms are a living embodiment of the truth that the greatest thing you will do in life is not some accomplishment. It's someone you'll raise. So thank you, moms. Let me challenge the rest of you, the rest of us. Don't let the day go by without giving a word of thanks, saying thanks to your mom. You can write it down on a piece of paper, put it in the mailbox. You can text it on your phone. You can sit across the table and, and, and give a pause in the food and say thank you, or you can pick up the phone and call. Make sure you tell um, your mother who raised you thank you. We also know that for some of us here, this is a challenging day. Mother's Day is kind of another reminder of unfulfilled longing and, and sometimes loss. And we just want to say when, when the real of your life doesn't fit with the ideal, God's grace abounds. That God is nearer to you today by his spirit than the pain you feel. And he has given you a church family to come alongside you, to wrap their arms around you, to encourage you, to speak life into you. And so church family, would you take today as a way to encourage someone you think may be having a tough time? Just send a quick word. Hey, I'm thinking about you today. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. Either way, whether it's words of thanks or words of encouragement, we need to remember the power of our words to be able to speak life. It may start with our mamas. We're going to see that in James chapter 3, that words are powerful. We'll be in James chapter 3 today because we're continuing in our sermon series on the book of James where we're seeing faith in real life. So according to James, true faith works. That means that if you genuinely believe, it has to transform how you behave. It has to work itself out. And we're going to see today that, that faith, or the lack thereof, necessarily will work itself out in your words, by the power of your words. Because what you say not only can shape the course of your life, what you say can also influence and impact others. And what you say really reveals your heart. This is how I've seen it played out here recently. We're raising three kids, the oldest of whom decided here recently that he wants to be a contrarian. Namely, anything you say, he starts saying, nuh-uh. Like, when did this start? Like, man, it's cold out there this morning. Nuh-uh, I don't think it's cold. Like, what? You know, man, you guys stayed up late last night. Nuh-uh, it was early for me. Okay, fine, whatever. A lot of times it's silly, but there's sometimes it gets a young man in trouble. We were sitting around the dinner table the other night, had Mexican food out there, and we had lime, lime wedges, excuse me. Cut up these limes there, you'll spritz your food there, get you a nice flavor. And my sweet little cherub daughter, right, who does no wrong, I'm kidding, but she said, Daddy, are limes sour? And I was like, well, I'm thinking in my mind, generally, yes, but I know especially for my kids, whose taste buds are like uber weirdly sensitive, where like some grain of like pepper will be like flaming hot sauce. I'm like, yes, all children hear my voice, limes are sour. And then I heard it. Nuh-uh. <laughs> the next 10 seconds played out like a movie scene. I turn around, and he and I locked eyes, and he starts bringing that lime to his mouth. I'm like, buddy, don't you do it. He's like, this lime's not sour. 
And with one big, you know, slack-jawed gulp, he just ate the whole lime wedge. We're like holding our collective breath. And then he falls in the floor. He starts writhing and spitting and like clawing. And I'm like, and I step toward him, bud, are you okay? And I see out of the corner of my eye and my daughter say, this lime's not sour. And she starts picking up and she eats it. So now she's spitting, she's gagging, she's coughing. And we got this swirling storm of like lime juice and saliva around our kitchen table. How did we get here? The power of words. So when that young man spoke, it set the course of his life. The die was cast. When he spoke, it influenced, yes, his sweet baby sister. And when he spoke, it really showed what was going on in his heart. I mean, I can tease about my kids, and it's fun, but really, that's the story of my life. And as James is going to say, that's the story of your life. Because your words aren't just some disconnecting something that floats around out in the ether. Your words really are connected to what's going on in your heart. And it's fascinating. People who do not believe the Bible say very much the same thing. They've been doing studies that are fascinating about the different languages we speak in some ways reflect that we're wired differently. They, they have given pictures, a picture in this study, they gave a picture of a dinner scene, right? And they gave it to an English speaker, a German speaker, and a Spanish speaker. And each of them would describe and understand a different part of the, of the story. So it's almost like the language we speak caused us to, to, to see and understand the world differently. And they've done studies with bilingual people that they will feel like a different person depending on what language they speak at that moment. I think it's true. Why? Because the words we say aren't disconnected from who we are. And that's what James is talking about when he talks about the tongue. The tongue, he doesn't mean just that little fleshy muscle thing behind your teeth. He means also the words. He means more than that, if you want to put it this way, kind of like the language. We've seen the word tongue before in a similar type of usage. We've seen it in Revelation. Remember in Revelation, John repeats it a couple times, puts some qualifiers together. And he's describing the people of God that are singing praises to the Lamb. How does he describe it? It's a group of people, tribe, nation, and what? Tongue. So tongues are more than just your words. It's something about who you are. It's about your language or your heart type of language. And James is going to say at that deep fundamental part, you got something wrong with you. Your language is off. Uh, namely, we got a problem not just with the fruit, our words, but with the root, what's going on down below. Let's read together from James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and let's see the power of words. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. And if we put bits into the mouths of horses that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. 
For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Well, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Mm. It's interesting here that James starts with a specific people problem, namely teachers. And teachers can have a profound influence on those they're teaching. And he ends with an every person problem. That none of us, all of us cannot, none of us can tame the tongue. What connects the two together? I think what connects the two together are the power of words. The power of words. We know that when we read scripture and we know that when we look to our God himself. Because our God, by his word, does he create and relate. He creates all things and relates with us. How? By the power of his word. And so in some ways, we reflect that truth, though in lesser ways, sure. But in similar ways, do we create or maybe shape the world around us? And do we relate with one another by our very words? So let's think back to the beginning. In Genesis, how does God create all things? He speaks. Nine times in Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be an expanse. And God said, said, said. It's establishing the fundamental truth that our, the, the word of our God is living, active, and powerful. Not only all things, but how does God create his people? We see it not only in the garden, but we see it later on. and shown in a different way in Ezekiel. You can write it down and check it out later. Ezekiel chapter 37. In Ezekiel 37, the prophet is, is, is looking out over a valley filled with dry bones. And God tells the prophet that those bones represent God's people. So it's almost like the people of God have been decreated. They've returned to the dust of the earth. It's almost like the people of God are dead in their trespasses and sins. And God asked the prophet, he said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And he's like, well, you know, Lord. The answer is yes, but how? How does God bring life to his people? He says to Ezekiel, prophesy, speak the word of the Lord, and I will cause breath to enter in. See, it's the same truth at the beginning. Just as God speaks all things into existence by the power of his word and the breath of the spirit hovers over the water, so now does he speak the very existence into his people by the power of his word and the breath of the spirit. The word is powerful. It's how God creates. In a similar way, our words are powerful. It's how we maybe not create, but certainly how we shape the world around us. Let's look what James says in chapter 3. He says there in verses 3 and 4, uses metaphors for us understanding. If we put little old bits into the mouths of horses, we can guide their whole bodies. You see that? Or he says in verse 4, look at the ship. They're large and driven by strong winds, but they're guided by that small rudder. Then there at the end of verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You see that? What you think may be small words actually shape your world. 
when Pastor Kyle was preaching on a similar topic in James from chapter 1, he said the truth that, that our words create worlds. Think about your life. You've got a, a, different, a couple different worlds you know, operating that you operate in. So you've got your home, right? You've got maybe your work. You've got maybe your school, maybe your parents' home. I don't know. Think about the different spheres, the different worlds that you operate in. And I bet if you were to take an objective step back and start to look at your different worlds, inasmuch as you struggle and increasingly struggle in one of those places, I bet you can chart how the words you speak in them and the words you speak about them continue to devolve. But in some way, you are shaping the world around you by the power of your words. We know also that the word is how God relates with us too, isn't it? Not only how he creates, but how he relates. Think back to Genesis. In chapter 3, he gives us this fascinating verse. It says that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Heard the sound as in the cool of the day. Well, that sound could be like they heard the effects of God walking. Maybe a, a twig snaps, maybe the, the bushes rustle. It's kind of like I hear the sound of my kids tumbling down the stairs every morning at 7 a.m. Right? Or maybe um, they heard the sound of someone. Because that Hebrew word there is somewhat flexible. And that the sound can also be like a twig snapping, or it could be like the, the sound of a voice. So what would it be like then if Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord walking? It's almost like God's word of power through whom he creates all things is the same word that he relates with his people. It's almost like his voice or his word is walking. It's almost like it's a person. Spoiler alert, it is. We know his name to be Jesus. But he, he walks, right? His voice is relating with his people in the cool of the day. Cool of the day could be like a weather forecast, like last night. As the, as the weather front moves in, it brings along behind a low-pressure system, and then cool air will blow up. Or it could be something else going on. Namely, woodenly, if you want to translate it, it would say they, they heard the voice walking in the um, breath of the day, in the wind of the day, or yes, even in the spirit. Because that same term, again, it's flexible, breath, wind, or spirit. What's the picture? It's the same God who speaks all things into existence through his word and the breath of the spirit. It's the same God now who relates with us in the power of his word in the breath of the spirit. It's not just true about God himself. It's true about the scripture, about the Bible. We see the same language described in, in the Bible we hold in our hands. That what? This word is living and active. It's powerful. Not only that, this word is what? God breathed. So that as we open the word, God is creating us anew. He is relating with us day by day. And he is breathing life through his spirit. Been in church long enough, you, you, I mean, you, you know that. You're like, I get it. And you can even pass the test. We give you a sheet of paper, you can write the words on it, be like, hey, great job, like a smiley face sticker. But we don't really get it because we don't live like it. How do I don't know you don't live like it? Because I don't live like it. Every morning when I wake up, you know what I choose? I choose to snooze. That alarm clock's going off, and I'm like, I think five more minutes. Like, that's going to help. It don't help. Spoiler alert. 
But if I decide I'm going to wake up, what's the first thing I reach for? I reach for my screen. I reach for my phone. Because I want to check the scores of some game I don't really care about. Or maybe you want to look on to see if, how many people liked or how many people commented on your story. Maybe you want to check your emails before you get in the office. What's wrong with us that we check emails before we get in the office? What would it look like for us as the people of God to live our lives like we truly believe we held in our hands the living, active, God-breathed Word? It means we say we choose Scripture before screen. It means we go there first to find our life. It means that we would go first and foremost to the Word of God for a word from God. Because there and there alone do we have God relating and creating the power of His Word and the breath of the Spirit. In a similar way, though, words are how we relate with each other. You see in James chapter 3, what in verse 1, what does he say brings all this talk to his mind? He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's fascinating that, that this whole discourse, right, and the power of your words starts with how we teach other people. Because as a Christian teacher, the stakes are very high. We're not just talking about some restaurant recommendation that hopefully they like it and maybe they don't. As James said, if we teach wrongly, we can lead others to vain, empty, worthless, dead religion. We can speak others to death. It's a sobering reality. It isn't just a specific people problem. This is all of us a problem. Because all of us similarly have that kind of influence by our words. I don't know you have that kind of influence because you're in relationships. Many times we are in relationships with someone else, their words can shape our world. You know this when you grow up. Some of you remember growing up. Some of you are growing up. It's a tough time growing up. I'm telling you what, middle school and high school and whatever else. I bet you remember some point in your school days, right, that you didn't even notice something about you. Maybe it's the way you looked or talked or whatever else. Until what? Somebody at school pointed and laughed. And then, lo and behold, that's the first thing you notice every time you look in the mirror. It's the only thing you can think about even to this day, years and years later. Or maybe it's your office. Maybe you get a job and you sit down for your first review. Maybe it's formal. Maybe it's informal. And your boss shares a couple of points of specific criticism. And then somehow those critiques lodge deep in your brain. And you remember them and kind of think on them later and replay them. And then you find yourself like operating in your job trying to prove your boss wrong. That you're not the kind of person that his review said you were. Or maybe it's in some relationship. Somebody close to you that you thought loved you and you certainly loved, maybe they told you you're not good enough, either explicitly by their words or somewhere else. And sure enough, the rest of your life, you're living like you're not good enough, not only for them, but for nobody. You know words have power to shape your world because they've sh others have shaped you. What James is saying is that you yourself had that kind of power to shape and to relate with others. And so let's talk about the negative here for a second. We'll get to the positive. Don't worry. It's like, hold on, everybody. But what is James saying? He's saying there may just be a reason why your spouse thinks they can never do or never be enough for you. There may just be a reason why your kids say that they are annoying. May just be a reason why your friends think they are disposable, why your parents think they are a burden. 
Maybe it's because the words you've been saying, either verbally or otherwise. Because our words have the power to shape our world and to influence those around us. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs says, so that you can speak others to death or to life. You have a huge impact on the world you shape and how you influence others. Words are powerful because words are personal. Words are powerful because words are personal. We see this first and foremost in God himself, that God's word is the most personal thing about him. The history of the church has grappled with how to say it. They've established things like the word is consubstantial. Anybody know Spanish? Excuse me. Let me try that again. Latin. Anybody know Latin in here? I don't even know it. <laughs> it means of the same essence, the same substance, the same godness, right? It's one in being. Or the Nicene Creed, another creed the church tried to try to lay the groundwork, is saying that the word is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. You've read this before. You've read it in John chapter 1. How does John begin his gospel? He begins in the beginning, doesn't he? He says, in the beginning. We're like, oh, that reminds us of Genesis, where God created and related with us. Through whom? In the beginning was the Word. And this Word was with God, and this Word was God. So the Word through whom God creates all things and through whom he relates with us, is the most personal thing about him. It is true to his very heart. Not only is his word personal, his word's a person. And then his name is Jesus. This is what John talks about in verse 14. That word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's very important for life. This is like the heart of Christianity type of thing. Not only, like, we could pretend that theology is kind of floating up here, but in your life, this is what you are struggling with. Namely, you yourself may be feeling distant from God. Or maybe instead of being distant, you're like literally walking away. And all of us know someone in our life who has rejected God. The question is, which God are they rejecting? Who are you walking away from? Who do you think God is? How do you think you come to know him? There's a professor that I appreciate. He talks about how he will lecture on college campuses. And afterwards, some student will come up to him and say, you know what, I appreciate what you said, but I don't believe in God. You know how he responds every time? Well, which God do you not believe in? Because chances are, I don't believe in that God either. Where are you looking to know who God is? Are you looking to, I don't know, Discovery Channel? Are you looking to your feelings and your heart and your emotion? Are you looking to sin and suffering around your life? Or are you looking to the thing that's most central and core to his very heart, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? When Jesus tells us that if we see him, we have seen the Father, so that the life Jesus lives is the very heart of God played out for us. The words that he shares are the words from the Father. His works that he performs are the works of the Father. We look to him to see God. If you're going to walk away from God, you might as well know which one you're walking away from. It's not the God of your pain and suffering. It's actually the one who came to take on your pain and suffering. 
to give you life. Jesus, as the word of God, is the most personal thing to him. In a similar way, are our words personal to us? Do our words reveal our very heart? But I'll say generally, none of us believe that. Nobody. So let's talk about big picture. Big picture in our world today. You know, we get up on our soapbox and like, the world today. No, but at least we all can agree things be crazy out there. Especially the way we talk. Just crazy town. I mean, apparently road rage incidents are up. Apparently violence on airplanes are, are up. I mean, we have like public events, concerts, shows, or whatever being interrupted by like verbal assault and actual violence. You just turn on the TV and it's like red flashing graphics and people are just yelling at each other. You open up social media, different mobs are going after somebody else. It's like, what is going on? Things be crazy. Yet generally, we have a pretty favorable opinion of ourselves. <laughs> the most recent Barna poll, with all the road rage and whatever else is happening, 97% of Americans think they're a good citizen. <laughs> Out of us just blistering people on social media, 80% say we actively make a positive difference in the world. With us blessing and cursing, 90% of Americans still feel accepted by God. This is not just an out there problem. This is an in here problem. This is us. I know it's us because I know it's me. This is how it plays out. Maybe for you, it's the pressure cooker in the car. You know what I'm saying. And the kids in the back start yelling either at themselves or just in general. And you can feel the temperature rising. Like the old cartoons, right? Your face is getting red and the steam starts coming out and that little train whistle starts blowing. Woo! And then finally, you just snap. You start shouting and you get the shout and the swat going. You're swatting back behind you. You're swatting at them. But really, though, who would not act similarly in a similar situation? It's not your fault. It's that, you know, it's the car and it's the kids and it's whatever else. Maybe for you, it's you're getting home from a hard day of work or a hard season at work. And you bust through the front door like George Bailey does, and it's a wonderful life, right? And everything and everyone's the problem. You're like, this drafty old house and that knob that's always broken and Zuzu playing the piano. Everybody's in your line of fire. But I mean, who wouldn't act a similar way if they knew the pressure you were under at work and how difficult things have been? For most of us, or maybe some of us, are a little more civilized than that. We don't pop off, but we certainly know how to use sarcasm. Because we know how to make others feel less as we feel greater. Or it could be that we don't, well, sure, we don't stoop that low, but we can not just with the words, we can say the right words, but bring the tone and the spirit behind it, that we can bring the silent dagger, right, that comes in the back. But it's not really our fault. And generally, we're good people that just sometimes say bad words. And we don't really think it's a problem. James thinks it's a problem. Look at verse 10. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And dadgum, these things ought not to be so. My translation, what's wrong with you? Why do you not see that that's a problem? You may think you're doing right, but the word of the Lord does not think you're doing all right. And guess what? People who you came to church with do not think you're doing all right. Men. Your wife are praying that you would listen to this sermon because you are moody and unpredictable or you are dry and disengaged. Ladies, your husband or your friends are praying that you would listen to this sermon because if they are honest, they are not sure which one of you you're, they're going to get. 
that if you have a bad day, they are preparing themselves to be dumped on. Parents, your kids are praying, they're old enough to articulate it, that you would listen to this sermon. Because again, they see mommy happy in the morning and shouting in the afternoon. They see daddy lovely on the weekends and mean during the week. Which mom or dad is it? Kids, your parents are praying that you would listen to this sermon. Because if you're honest, you talk to mom and dad like you wouldn't talk to anyone else in this, in this world. The problem is not just out there, James is going to say. The problem isn't just with these free-floating words. The problem actually is with in here. It's with our heart. He says this in verse 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that if your words are like black olives, namely if your words taste like dirt. Sorry, black olive people. Olives taste like dirt. If your words taste like dirt, guess what? You're not some sweet old fig tree. If your words are salty, don't fool yourself in thinking you're like the, the pure, freshly driven snow. Those times when you are unfiltered are the times you've stopped faking it. So that your words in those moments are actually like you holding up a mirror to see who you really are. They're not out of character. They're showing you your character. They're revealing what's going on underneath. Jesus says the same thing. Matthew chapter 12, out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's quoting Proverbs there, the heart's the wellspring of life. So guess what? Your words are revealing your heart. And if that wouldn't make matters worse enough, James just, just keeps piling on, right? We need it. He says our heart is what? It's set on fire. Look at that verse 6. Sure, the tongue's a problem. The tongue's a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. Set among our members, it stains our whole body. It sets on fire the entire course of life, and what? And it is set on fire by hell. You see that? We've got a problem that's, that's stirring under the surface. That's how it plays out in my life. I knew this weekend was going to be a, a, a heavy weekend, long weekend, away from family, whatever else. And being the family man that I am, I want to set aside some time on Friday with my girls. My girls, namely my wife and my younger daughter and little baby, older brother's at, at uh, school. He's not left out, don't worry. And, uh, and, and we, we, we woke up and we wanted to get some coffee and walk in the park. And for some reason, I was grumpy. I don't know. Maybe I didn't sleep well last night. Maybe I didn't bring my snackies along with me. I was getting a little hangry. I don't know, but I was grumpy. And my wife asked me the logical question, why are you grumpy? And I'm telling you, that question fanned into flame something in my heart. And I don't think I said anything that mean because I know better than that, right? But I'm telling you, I gave her at least the eyes. You know what I mean? The eyes. I gave her the eyes. Like, how dare you ask why I'm grumpy? And that's when I was going to preach this message the next day. And I've been praying, preparing the whole week, praying through it, getting ready to share it. And I was actually only there on Friday because I'd be here preaching on Sunday. We got a problem, people. The problem is not just the words we say, but the problem's in our heart. And you know it's a problem because you can have the best time of your life 
on Sunday morning, worshiping with your church, and then fight with your family on which restaurant you're going to right afterward. You can have the most emotional experience listening to or singing some worship song, and you're crying to yourself, but then maybe your spouse or your kids interrupt you, and you snap at them while the tears are still on your cheek. Maybe for you, you had the best devotional you've ever had in your life. You finally got out of bed, but then, Lord, help the mister that comes between you and your lunch. Or somebody cuts you off in traffic. We've got a problem, and we can't stop it. What does James say in verse 7 and 8? For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. We've taught elephants how to paint. We've taught squirrels how to water ski. We've taught dogs how to go to the fridge and get us our drink and open it for us. But what? No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Why can't we tame that tongue? Why can't we fix our words? Because the problem's in our heart. The problem is we need someone to change our heart. The problem is we need a work of the sovereign Lord in the depths of our being. That certainly is the counter vision. I was reading through the passage and praying through, I'm like, Lord, where do you give the vision? Where is the positive? I started to think through, you know, this, this thought, this theme, this picture of a flaming tongue or even of like a flaming heart. Like, where have I seen that before? Where have I read that before in Scripture? It reminded me of Luke. You know Luke who wrote his gospel, the gospel according to Luke? And Luke also is one who wrote Acts. And how does he end his gospel, and how does he begin the Acts story? With this very same picture. Because remember the end of Luke, chapter 24? It's called the road to Emmaus. Two of his disciples thought that Jesus was dead and would always be dead, and so they're pretty discouraged, and they're walking to a town called Emmaus. And then lo and behold, the resurrected Lord begins to walk with them. But it says their eyes were kept from noticing them. When were their eyes opened? When Christ opened the Scriptures. When Christ opened the Scriptures and showed them all the things concerning himself and the law, the prophets, and the writings. When Christ showed that the whole scope of history, the whole scope of the work of God is centered in his person. When Christ showed them that he had lived the life they couldn't live. He had died the death they deserved to die. And now he is alive and walking with them to give them new life. When he opened the scriptures, what happened? His disciples said, did not our hearts burn within us? How is your heart going to be fixed? If it's set on fire by hell... How is it going to be fixed? When it is consumed by the Lord Jesus Christ. When it is set on fire by the good news of his gospel. What about our tongues? How does Luke begin in Acts? Right? Acts chapter 2, or really in chapter 1, he says, Yo, hang around in Jerusalem until the power on high visits you. Right? So they're like, cool, we'll hang around. They lock themselves up in the upper room. And what happens? What happens is that the power of the Spirit of the living God descends on his people. And how does the Spirit descend? Like tongues of fire. So that you better believe their speech was set on fire by the Spirit. So that Peter can go out and preach the sermon at Pentecost. So the rest of Acts, they can be preaching in the power of the Spirit, the good news of the Lord Jesus. But also their lives were changed. They were being transformed. They were being conformed into being who they were meant to be. 
think that's what James has in mind in verse 2. What does James say? Chapter 3, verse 2. It's like, listen, we all stumble in many ways. But if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's what? A perfect man. He's a perfect man. That's, that's not perfection like it's some, some bar you're trying to reach up to. That's actually being perfect and being in the sense of being fully formed and being whole and being developed. What's James saying? James is saying that when you control your tongue, what does that show? It shows that the very work that the Lord Jesus started in your heart and the very work that he is working in you through his spirit is taking hold. Showing that as you keep in step with the Spirit, yes, with how you speak, but also with how you live, you're being transformed from one degree of glory to another, to be made into the image of Jesus Christ. If we are a perfect person, it doesn't mean we finally can control the words we say. No, it means we've been formed into the image of Jesus. So we speak like him. We live like him. We are like him. The challenge for us is to start living like him. I think you need to begin to see your walk as a believer and follower of Jesus like learning a new language, like learning a new language. Here's what I mean. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a native Christian speaker. Don't fool yourself into thinking that it's going to come naturally to you. You're just going to pick it up and it's going to go great. No, because what? Your heart and your tongue are set on fire by hell. Okay. We got to learn we have to learn a new life. What how do you learn a foreign language? The best way to do it? Language immersion. You want to learn Spanish? You better get on a plane and be dropped where they only speak Spanish. Why? Because what consumes your world will consume you. So let me challenge you. What is consuming your world right now? What info do you take in? Maybe it's a podcast. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's, I don't know. What is it? What do you spend your time watching, thinking about, listening to? Because that's what's consuming you. What's the good news, the hope we have? The hope we have and the challenge is we better get into the Word of God, the Scriptures, until it gets into us. So surround your life by the Word, the living and active God-breathed Word so that it consumes you and changes the way you think, the way you speak, the way you live. But also, if you're going to learn a language, you better start speaking it. What are the primary ways, the most fundamental ways that Christians speak? We speak in prayer, don't we? That, if you want to think about it, that's the first words a Christian says. Whenever we cry out to God that we're a sinner. Whenever we pray to God that we, we confess with our mouth that we believe His Son is who He says He is. We begin speaking as a Christian by praying. So how do you need to pray as your life goes on? Guess what worship is? Worship is an opportunity to join with your family of faith and to speak together words that are formed by the Scriptures and directed to God. As the Spirit breathes life, so do we breathe it back out to God our Father. But also, we need to learn to start living it and start speaking with the people who are closest to us. We want the gospel to transform, yes, even our closest relationships. So I want to challenge you this morning, whether it's in the car on the way home, whether it's over the table at lunch, whether it's later this evening when you pick up the phone, maybe you need to start speaking by saying you're sorry. I'm sorry. Not I'm sorry, but. 
before you start explaining why they were actually wrong to make you do what you did? No, I'm sorry for. This is, this is what I've done. And I want to repent verbally. I want to say it and create a new world, shape a new world in that relationship. Maybe for you, you just need to say, I love you. And no, not I love you like good morning, good night. Like, hey, I love you. And like, see you later. Welcome home. Love you. No, I love you because. Just like the power of that Mother's Day video. Start naming what about that person evokes love in you. I love you because. Speak life to those closest to you. Maybe if you've got kids, you need to say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Our children don't need another critic. Life is hard enough. There are enough people holding them to high standards they can't achieve in school and sports and whatever else. They need their parents to speak life into them. I'm proud of you because of who you are and, and all these things I see. In a world, really, where speech is set on fire by hell, may the people of God be those that can speak a word of love and speak the breath of life that's been spoken to us by God through His Son and the power of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Our Father, may it begin now. May we begin speaking in a new way as we worship together. Lord, as Your Spirit moves and works in us, may it cry out through us in this worship so that as we move from this place, we'll continue to speak like we've been changed. We'll continue to live like we've been made new. We will, we will bring and breathe life into our worlds and our relationships like you have breathed life in us. Make it true, Father. In the power of your word and the breath of the Spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.